Our text is from our gospel reading. We heard a few moments ago these words, and Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. That's Matthew 15, uh, 28. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, um, it may be hard for us, it may be hard for us to equate our faith in Jesus, our Savior, uh, with a wrestling match. A wrestling match where we find ourselves pitted against God. That is actually one aspect of faith. One aspect of faith, this struggle. For what is faith but believing something which we cannot see? Believing something that we cannot prove. Believing something which is true. Although everything seems to indicate that what we believe is false. It can be hard. Really hard. Now, interestingly enough, the world does indeed. The world under, uh, does indeed understand such faith, this aspect of faith, this struggle. In Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, for example, dated to the 8th century B.C., we read about Penelope, the faithful wife of King Odysseus of Ithaca. And Odysseus is gone from home for ten years fighting the Trojan War in what is now modern Turkey. And then takes another ten years after that war for Odysseus to return home to Ithaca, which is an island off the western coast of Greece, to return in epic fashion facing one peril after another. So, for 20 years, 20 years Penelope waits and waits and waits for Odysseus, having faith that he'll return, fighting off suitors almost daily who would convince her that Odysseus is dead. And Odysseus does make it back and dispatches the suitors, the faith of Penelope being realized in the fulfillment of what she believed to be true. So the world knows of such faith, faith that is like a wrestling match, as it seems that what is believed and what seems to be the reality clash with one another, sometimes in epic fashion in our minds. And there, there, the battle, the epic battle, it's with ourselves, isn't it? Now, in Scripture, such an epic battle, an epic wrestling match takes place between Jacob and God as Jacob is seeking to take his family to safety and as he does, his face with a man, God incarnate. And Jacob has nothing else to do but to wrestle with him for the life of his wives and children was in the balance, or so Jacob must have thought. We're never really told why that wrestling match takes place. Here, Jacob had fled his father-in-law Laban, only to be overtaken by Laban, and a peace established between the two. But then, Jacob, in returning home, has to face Esau, his brother, the brother from whom he stole his father's blessing. Jacob had already been told that Esau was heading his way, heading his way with 400 men. 
So what would happen? What would happen to Jacob, his wives, his children? What does Jacob do? He prays. And this is what he prays. O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. With only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob's prayer. Now did you catch what he did there? Did you catch it? He began the prayer by reminding God of what God had commanded him to do. He then, that is Jacob, Jacob summarized his situation. The danger he was in, the danger he felt, and the real possibility that his family would be destroyed. And then Jacob reminded God of the promise that God had made to him, that God would do him good and make Jacob's descendants as the sand of the seashore. So there was kind of a going back and forth, wasn't there? Here's what you wanted me to do, God, but here's what's happening. And yet here's what you promised. We might call that a bit gutsy, wouldn't we, on Jacob's part? Kind of like when Abraham bartered with God over the destruction of Sodom. Similarly, the woman in our gospel reading in spite of how everything seemed, in spite of Jesus' silence, in spite of her non-Jewish origin, she pressed on, insisting that Jesus be that who he was. Yahweh, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love. Her faith, like that of the woman with the flow of blood who touched the hem of Jesus' clothing, was a faith which completely and wholeheartedly believed Jesus to be, in fact, who he was. And to be who he was for her. Now in Hebrews, we read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The woman in our text was confident that Jesus could, in fact, heal her daughter and convinced that he would, even though she had never seen such a thing take place, but in which she certainly could hope. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who calls us by the gospel and he enlightens us with his gifts and sanctifies us and he keeps us with Jesus Christ and the one true faith. It's a Holy Spirit sent to us by the grace of God which creates faith within us, the faith which clings to Jesus Christ, bringing then to us the benefits of all that he did for us on the cross. His righteousness through faith credited to us, covering us, covering our sin, covering our guilt with his holiness, righteousness, and innocence. But faith, faith in Jesus Christ is not simply passive. It's not simply passive passive. Faith does not just receive what Christ gives to it, but faith is also active. Active in expressing itself in an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. Now, 
Here in these last days, matters can become a bit complex because we can be confused when talking about faith. Faith, which is the assurance. Faith, which is a conviction. For such faith can get mixed up together in our minds and our hearts in something called self-confidence. Now, self-confidence became a popular topic probably already in the 1950s, and that is, according to one definition, self-confidence, a state of being clear-headed either that a hypothesis or prediction is correct or that a chosen course of action is the best or most effective. Confidence comes from a Latin word, fidere, which means to trust. Listen up. Therefore, having self-confidence is having trust in one's self. Or more clearly, self-confidence is having faith in ourselves. So you see, that's the difference. That's the difference. The faith of Jacob, the faith of the woman in our text, was a faith in Yahweh, in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. A faith that insisted that he be who he was. And a faith that was confident that he would be and would be for them. So how can we understand this? This faith that insists that the Lord be what he is for us. That's what really kind of challenges us here, isn't it? That insists that Jesus be who he is. Well, I've played trumpet now for over 40 years. And throughout those years, I've played lots of music, most probably hundreds of thousands of notes. And what's happening when I play is all sorts of physical and mental and emotional gymnastics within me to get the sound to come out the end of the horn. And you would think that after all this time, after 40 years, that when a piece of music is handed to me, I would simply say, yes, I can play that. But that's not what happens. happens, What happens is that someone comes to me and says, I've heard you play, and here is music that I know you can play, even though I myself don't know if I can or not. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Here, you can play this. And inside I'm thinking, I don't know if I can or not. That makes sense that they do that, though. They've heard me play, they've seen the trumpets and the stands, and they've heard the notes, and of course I am a trumpet player, and yet people still need to come to me and say, be the trumpet player that you are. Now in my case, I'm messed up by sin, and there is music I cannot play. But in the case of our Lord and Savior, that isn't so. He isn't messed up by sin. And there's no music he cannot play. That is, there's nothing that he cannot do. In his case, as Luther so often notes, he exercises our faith. He exercises our faith, that is, for our good, appearing not to answer us in our prayers, so that we will even more fervently approach him and, like Jacob, wrestle with him. A game? No. A need for our faith in our Savior, our faith in its activity to grow for the tough times ahead in our lives. Yes, faith, Christian faith, faith which lives in assurance, faith which expresses itself in confidence is not some sort of faith in ourselves, but it is faith that our Savior Jesus will always and does always act for us. Let's not be fooled here. Gaining confidence in ourselves and our successes and somehow thinking that our self-confidence, our faith in ourselves is the same thing as our faith in our Savior. It's not. 
So what we need is to pray for an increase of faith so that we can address our Father in heaven as Jacob did. And as the woman in our text did. And that is with the faith that sees through all that is contrary, all that is against, all that is not, and simply asks that our Lord and Savior is and always will be our Lord and our Savior. And be that for us. Amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and the life everlasting. Amen. We rise and confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.